Welcome to Richard Ellis Talks with Richard Ellis. Richard's going to take the next few minutes to share some great words of hope, insight, humor, and relevance. In today's lost and searching world, that's something everyone desperately needs to hear. Speaking of that, we'd love to keep this conversation going with you anytime through our website, richardellistalks.com. In fact, there's so many ways to connect with us from there that you really need to check it out for yourself, richardellistalks.com. But right now, let's go ahead and get things off and running with today's talk. Here's Richard Ellis. The title of today's message is Go Viral. I'd like to start in Leviticus 13. And before we read Leviticus 13, let me talk to you about something called social distancing. This is not a couple that's on the way to divorce and separated, although that may be describing what's going on there as well. But let me read a little bit out of an article about what social distancing is. Social distancing is a set of non-pharmaceutical infection control actions intended to stop or slow down the spread of a contagious disease. The objective of social distancing is to reduce the probability of contact between persons carrying an infection and others who are not infected so as to minimize disease transmission, morbidity, and ultimately mortality. Okay, but if you study social distancing, what they're not talking about is isolation. And there is a difference in distance but not isolation. And the challenges that come with isolation are people get afraid, productivity goes down, all kind of things from the studies happen. The first instance of social distancing is straight out of the Bible, and it's Leviticus chapter 13, verse 45. Now the leper on whom the sore is, his clothes shall be torn and his head bare, and he shall cover his mustache and cry, unclean, unclean. So that verse. So what a leper was told to do back in the Old Testament from the scriptures is to take your hand, part of this deal was, they were to take their hand, cover their mustache, so up to the nose, below the nose, and everywhere they went, they would say, unclean, unclean. So they announced their uncleanness everywhere they went. And it would basically be like, you know, during SARS, you would say, SARS, SARS, SARS. Like, well, dude, what are you doing here in the first place? Like, you know, we don't want you around. Or coronavirus or whatever it is you're saying. Who wants to announce their problem? But if they were not going to be isolated, they would have to create some distance so they would announce that here they come. Keep reading. He shall be unclean. All the days he has the sore, he shall be unclean. He is unclean and he shall... Dwell alone, his dwelling shall be outside the camp. So these people were outcasts, they were contagious, no one wanted to be around them, and literally if they had to be around people, they had to announce themselves. Go to Second Chronicles chapter 7. Second Chronicles chapter 7, a lot of times people will quote Second Chronicles 7 verse 14, but they leave out 13. So let's look at this together. The context here is God speaking to his people, and he says in verse 13, When I shut up heaven, and there is no rain, or command the locust to devour the land, or send pestilence among my people. So here's the categories. If I do one of these things, or if this type of thing is happening, and assuming they don't like that, then he says, 
if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. So you say, what do you mean heal their land? Well, if all this is going on, literally their land needs to be healed. Something horrific has happened. Now, a lot of people ask about an epidemic, a pandemic, whatever it may be. They say, well, is this God's judgment on the earth? I don't think everything that happens is God's judgment per se, but I do know that God is sovereign and he allows everything that happens. The tragedy of something that happens like pestilence, and if you go back even in Moses' day, Moses goes to Pharaoh, says, let my people go, let my people go, and the hammer drops, boom, 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 all types of pestilence, all type of stuff happened to the Egyptians and not to God's people. And eventually the firstborn die and all of that, all of those let my people go and the next thing and the next, the plague, the plague, the plague kept coming. They finally responded, but not before the firstborn were all dead. So you say, well, did it ultimately get their attention? But how hard headed do we have to be for something horrific to happen where we stop and say, wow, do we need God or not? And is there anything that literally no one can solve but him? And we'll get to that in just a minute. There are. You say, well, we have doctors, we have medicine, and they can heal. They can only do so much. They can extend life a little bit. They can't give life and they can't sustain life, right? So I don't want to be negative here in any way, but unless Jesus returns in your lifetime, you're going to die, okay? So you say, oh, I don't want to think about that. You need to think about that. Because if you realize that you could die, then you might actually start living. Because a lot of people just live like, I'm never going to die. This is just going to go on and on and on. And tomorrow, 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 I'll think about that tomorrow. Kind of a gone with the wind approach to life. You can't live that way. And if you do, you'll miss out on what's up. So sometimes a shot's fired over the bow or allowed to be fired over the bow. And God says, okay, are you listening? Are you paying attention? Like, look, you can't control what goes on down there. And he can, and he can either cause something to happen, plenty of evidence of that in the Old Testament and the New, or he can allow something hoping that it gets our attention. So the if there in verse 14, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves, and this is primarily to his people, which I would go as far as to say Christians nowadays, you say, well, the world should do all that. Judgment begins in his house. We think, well, the world should do something. You know what? Part of the reason why the world doesn't get what we're about is we don't even do what we're about. So if we were to humble ourselves and we were to pray and seek his face and turn from our wicked ways, then there's, a, you know, he says he'll hear from heaven and forgive their sin and heal their land. That sounds like a great remedy. Why don't we do that? Because we're stiff-necked, stubborn, and don't want to do what God wants for us to do. Now go to Matthew chapter 8. Matthew 8, let's begin there. In verse 1. And this is a kind of, especially when you're reading from Leviticus to Matthew chapter 8, this is like a massive switch. What happens here with a leper? Verse 1 When he had come down from the mountain, great multitudes followed him, and behold, a leper came and worshiped him, saying, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Now that's tremendous faith. Not forcing Jesus' hand, but if you're willing, you can make me clean. I know you can do it. So now it's a question of if you're willing to do it. Then Jesus put out his hand and touched him. You can't read your Bible fast. Okay, You can't just blow through that. 
Because this is a guy who's probably, unless his family just said, well, he's our family and, you know, we're going to risk it. Lepers didn't get touched a lot. And so for Jesus to reach out his hand and touch a leper, not just some unclean person, but an unclean leper is a massive gesture. And it's more than a gesture. Reaches out his hand, touches him saying, I am willing, be cleansed. Immediately his leprosy was cleansed. And you say, well, what a cool story. It's not really that cool unless you got leprosy and your leprosy has been healed on the spot. And God in the flesh has literally touched you, and that's how it happened. So he touched him, I'm willing, be cleansed. Immediately the leprosy was cleansed. And Jesus said to him, see that you tell no one, but go your way, show yourself to the priest, and offer the gift that Moses commanded as a testimony to them. So go do what the Old Testament talked about. Go through the protocols. Let the priest know, I had leprosy, I don't have leprosy. That news will travel, right? But do these things that you were supposed to do. Don't violate any of that. Now go to Matthew chapter 9. I'm not reading you everything in here about all this, but a few examples. Matthew chapter 9, verse 9. As Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax office. And he said to him, follow me. And he arose and followed him. Now it happened as Jesus sat at the table in the house that behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and sat down with him and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw it, they said to his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? Like, what's going to happen to you eating with these people? Well, these are pagans. These are non-believers. These are not Jews. They're unclean. This is not supposed to happen. When Jesus heard that, he said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice, for I did not come to call the righteous but sinners to repentance. So, if you live in this spiritual, social, isolated kind of world where you're not around any evil people, no bad language, no anything, it's all hermetically sealed and, and you're cordoned off. There's a story, before I forget this, I think it was in Zaire, the president of Zaire, there was a, a city, Kikweed I think it was, where Ebola had broken out and they put military troops around this city cordoned it off, all type of medical, military protocols, and they contained Ebola in that city, and it didn't spread. They said, wow, that's great. That's not what the church is about. We are not trying to contain the gospel in our little camp, right? So a lot of churches, I think, huddle up, and they sing the songs, and they share the stories, and this is a really safe place, and I can be myself and say that I believe, and then we just stay trapped there. We don't leave refreshed necessarily or reinvigorated, emboldened to go out and say, we huddled up to go run the plays. We're just calling plays and going and running the plays. But if you don't leave a gathering like this and go run the plays and fight the battle, then what are we doing here? And then we stay protected in our little homes with our little families. I'm not knocking any of this. But if you, in the course of a week, are not around, quote-unquote, sin-diseased people, it's not working. Now go to Acts chapter 1. This one gets read a lot in churches, and we're going to read it again. And this is Jesus right before he ascends into heaven Acts chapter 1, let's go down to verse 4. And being assembled together with them, he commanded them 
not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you have heard from me. For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Therefore, when they had come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it's not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father has put in his own authority. Not going to tell you that, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. So let's back into it. You can't be a Christian without having the Holy Spirit. If you claim to be a Christian, the Holy Spirit of God dwells in you. If the Holy Spirit of God dwells in you, you have this power. So where's the breakdown? He says, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you shall receive power. When the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you shall be witnesses. Now, I don't know how you shut this thing down. The visual for me on this is always the Flintstone car. Now, the thing about the Flintstones car is there was no motor under the hood. It was a Flintstone. It was Stone Age, right? But I go back to this picture of if I have this 5.1 liter engine under the hood and I cut me a hole under my steering wheel and take the seat out and jump in there and hold the steering wheel and walk and push my car, this is just getting crazy. Like, why would I in the flesh try to move an automobile that has power under the hood to do all the work? And yet, as Christians, we wake up and go, well, you know, I've got my ticket to heaven and that's all I've got. And so... I'll do the best I can, which means you're going nowhere. You're going to stand there holding the steering wheel, look like you're going somewhere, and if someone looks under the car, they see your feet. Like, dude, what are you doing? Don't you know there's an engine in this car? You have received power. And when that power is unleashed in a believer, there is boldness. You are going to be a witness. You're going to tell people. And where are you going to tell these people? He literally lays it out. You shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem. So it'll start here. But it's not going to be limited to here. We're not going to trap it here. In all Judea, the surrounding area there, and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. There's no stopping this. Go to Acts 17. This is a great story here that kind of shows pretty quick how this literally happened. I'll go as far as to say this. The only thing, according to what I see in Scripture and what I believe, the only thing that stops us as believers Sharing the gospel is sin in our lives. Anybody disagree? Because if the Holy Spirit's running your life, you're confessed up to date, you wake up, say, Lord, is there anything that would keep me from being the person you want me to be today? And he says, no, we're good to go. You're going to be a witness. You are going to share everywhere you go and almost be propelled to take it to the whole world. Something inside of you will say, we got to get this out there. Now you say, well, I don't like the sound of that, that there's sin in my life then what's the problem? You say, I'm just unwilling. What would that be? Well, I'm just going through a tough spell. 30 years? And you say, well, you're being mean. No, I'm trying to help you get ready for an exit entrance interview, right? Because this is not going to make any sense. And it doesn't make sense now. It's really not going to make sense then. You're a Christian. You wake up. You're still on the planet. He sends you out into the world to do this. You say, well, does everybody you share the gospel with get saved? Not with me, they don't, but take some seed with you, plant some seed. Well, I don't know how to do it. I'll help you. I'll take you with me. It's a conversation. You can do it in eight seconds in an elevator. If you wake up tomorrow and say, Lord, today, use me. 
you'd be amazed. And if there's anything in my life that's got to go that's keeping me from being used with this tool of you and me, then show me what that is and help me engage with people. People are afraid. People are looking for answers. They cannot figure out why his messengers don't show up. You say, well, but you're making us feel bad. I'm not making anybody feel bad. If you're doing it, you don't feel bad. I don't feel bad. Anybody feel bad? See there, nobody feels bad here. Acts 17, 1. Now when they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a synagogue of the Jews. Then Paul, as his custom was, went into them, and for three Sabbaths reasoned with them from the Scriptures, explaining and demonstrating that the Christ had to suffer and rise again from the dead, and saying... This Jesus whom I preach to you is the Christ. He is the chosen one. He's the Messiah. And some of them were persuaded, and a great multitude of the devout Greeks, and not a few of the leading women, joined Paul and Silas. So what does he do? For three Sabbaths, he goes in there from the scriptures and teaches Jesus that he is the Christ, and they believe. You say, well, how does that work? I will tell you this. I have never talked anybody into becoming a Christian. Not a single person any more than I could plant seed and scream at it in the dirt and make it grow. You plant the seed, it germinates, something happens. You can't see it, it's in the dirt, okay? So I'm not talking people into believing, but I will tell you this. If you have the courage and the wisdom and the boldness to share your faith and tell them, be a witness, what does a witness do in a courtroom? They sit on a stand and tell their story. You don't have to make anything up, it's your story. So if my life has been changed, tell them how he's changed my life. And you share that, what has Paul done? He's preached Jesus to him. And even in this passage right here, that Christ had to suffer and rise again from the dead, that is the gospel. So if you just get that out, and a bunch of people believe, verse 5, but the Jews who were not persuaded, and look what their issue is, becoming envious. Why are they envious? Because Paul shows up and teaches something, these people's lives are changed, and what do these guys got? Nothing. They're going to lose their power over these people took some of the evil men from the marketplace and gathered a mob, set all the city in an uproar and attacked the house of Jason and sought to bring them out to the people. But when they did not find them, they dragged Jason and some brethren to the rulers of the city crying out. And this was what their accusation was. These who have turned the world upside down have come here too. Could you be, could I be accused of that? Are we even trying to turn the world upside down? Those who have turned the world upside down have come here too. Jason has harbored them, and these are all acting contrary to the decrees of Caesar, saying there is another king, Jesus. And they troubled the crowd and the rulers of the city when they heard these things. So when they had taken security from Jason and the rest, they let them go. Now you say, well, are we supposed to be creating problems? I don't know, but if you've got to pick between preaching Jesus and not making trouble, preach Jesus. Right? Well, if we say there's only one king and it's Jesus, they're going to do something. They're just going to have to do something then. So here's my, one of my questions here about go viral. How contagious are you? How infectious are you? So if in a spiritual sense, we were going to put a little group together and we're going to send just what's in the room right now, pretty bold bunch of people, and we said, okay, we're going to pick six people and we're going to try to find the most infectious people in the room, the most contagious people in the room, to send them out and try to contaminate, infect this city. Would you get picked? Or are you getting better? You're getting well. In other words, not infectious anymore. 
And see, I meet a lot of people, this is one of the curiosities of lack of discipleship, in my opinion, is this. I see people that get Jesus and they are literally on fire. Can't stop them. They're telling their friends or family members they're on fire. They're going wherever they got to go to broadcast the message. And then a bunch of Christians get a hold of them and say, hey, dude, bring it down a little bit. Bring it down a little bit. You know, you can't sustain that. Who says you can't sustain that? You take that person who's on fire and get them in a discipleship relationship with someone who is still on fire, and I promise you, they'll both still be on fire. What happens to us? Social isolation, spiritual isolation. You say, but we gather as a church. Yeah, but if we all agree to the same terms, don't ask, don't tell. You don't stir me up, I won't stir you up. You don't have an expectation, I won't have an expectation. But we came, we gave some money, and it's all good, right? Except that is that what he left us here to do? Are you infectious on a pandemic level? And when it goes pandemic, it means it's the whole world affected by it. I think God intended Christianity to go viral in a pandemic way, and it did, and it has. But part of what will swell up and well up inside of you as a believer when you're walking with God is you will have a concern for your Jerusalem, your Judea, your Samaria, and the whole planet. You will believe that it can be taken. I believe, as sure as I'm standing here, that we can take the planet. Why would God have told us to do something that could not be done? You say, but, you know, just a little church in Dallas, how could this church take the planet? He told 120 people way back then, take the planet. And they believed that it was possible. And they took off doing it. Why? Because they had power and they knew it. You got power, you just may not know it. So this one's not going to be as exciting for you, but turn to Revelation chapter 11. While you're looking for that passage, by the way, infectious means a disease capable of being transmitted from person to person with or without actual contact. So if you're infectious, part of the reason we broadcast on the radio, I meet some of the people that come in here. I won't see some of those people till I get to heaven. No contact, but it's the gospel. So why do you keep pushing for that? Are you using all the tools you have to contaminate the world in the best of ways? Or do you even think about these things? Richard will be back in a moment to wrap up today's talk. But first, I want to share a couple of thoughts with you. Let's be honest. Real life isn't about living some highlight reel for others to see. Most people have deep hurts, questions, and struggles. Well, we get it, and we want to help you in any way we can. So let's keep this conversation going. You can give us a call anytime at 855-6-RICHARD or connect with us at our website, richardellistalks.com. You can even put in your prayer request right there on the prayer wall. Call us at 855-6-RICHARD or online at richardellistalks.com. And now let's get back to Richard with a final word on today's show. So read with me Revelation chapter 11 and verse 1. Then I was given a reed like a measuring rod, and the angel stood, saying, Rise and measure the temple of God, the altar, and those who worship there. But leave out the court which is outside the temple, and do not measure it, for it has been given to the Gentiles. And they will tread the holy city underfoot for forty-two months, and I will give power to my two witnesses, and they will prophesy one thousand two hundred and sixty days clothed in sackcloth. These are the two olive trees and the two lampstands standing before the God of the earth. 
And if anyone wants to harm them, fire proceeds from their mouth and devours their enemies. And if anyone wants to harm them, he must be killed in this manner. These have power to shut heaven so that no rain falls in the days of their prophecy. And they have power over waters to turn them to blood and to strike the earth with all plagues as often as they desire. So you say, well, wow, is that going to be, that sounds like a terrible thing. Let me just make a, just a pretty simple suggestion. The antidote for sin is Jesus, okay? So usually an antidote, when you find an antidote, you take it. They either shoot it into your body or you take it. I highly recommend take some Jesus, right? Because if he is in you and you say, well, how could he be the antidote? My problem is sin. So the person who solves the problem literally became sin for me, for us, so that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. So you take sin, you dump it all on him, he becomes sin, pays for sin, then you put him inside you, now he's taking care of your problem, you don't have to live in sin anymore, you don't have to die in sin, and you don't have to be afraid. Now, I don't want to die, you know, some horrific death. I don't, you know, I'd prefer not boils being scraped off my body, all these terrible things. But you know what? No matter how I live and suffer, whatever happens, it's only going to be for so long. And then my hope is built on nothing less than what? Jesus' blood and righteousness. You've been listening to Richard Ellis Talks. We really appreciate that you've spent this time with us, but we want to keep the conversation going with you. A couple of ways you can connect with us is by giving us a call anytime at 855-6-RICHARD. That's 855-6-RICHARD. Another way is through our website, richardellistalks.com. You can email us, sign up to get the daily talks sent to your phone each day, write on the prayer wall where we can pray for you, or even stay in touch through our Facebook page at Talk with Richard. We love bringing you the program every day, but it means even more to us when you let us know how the program has helped you. So call 855-6-RICHARD or connect with us at our website, richardellistalks.com. Finally, if you enjoy the program, let us know by your generous support. It would really mean a lot to us. richardellistalks.com. So until next time, have a great day and thank you for listening to Richard Ellis Talks.